0: We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC or our website CreekwoodUMC.org for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God
1: that they live in. So this is Psalm 137. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing a, the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. So Jeremiah is a set of letters that this correspondence going back and forth, that Jeremiah is answering correspondence from Babylon. Jeremiah is sending correspondence to Babylon to give them hope. And so we'll be journeying uh, mainly through Jeremiah, but starting in a little bit of a precursor in Psalm 137. Um, we sent some postcards along the way as we took this really big road trip that, we, um, that I chronicled on Facebook for, for just about everybody to see. Um, from the end of June into July. And we got to go to some really interesting places. We've been to some strange places before. Some people would say that Texas is a strange place. I would say that other places are strange places. And uh, one of the more unique places that we got to visit on this past road trip in July was Mackinac Island um, on the northern coast of Michigan. And if you've never been there, it's not like otherworldly by any measure, but it's just bizarre because it's an island that... Um, you have to take a ferry to get to, and there are no cars on the island. And it's not really a very big island either. There's only about 500 permanent residents there during the tourist season. It goes up by about 5,000 as they have to accommodate all the tourism needs. And you take a tour. Like, there's a historic base there. It belonged to the Americans. Then belonged to the British. Then it belonged to the Americans again. There's um, tour, uh, tour horse and buggies, because that's how you get around, is you take horse and buggies or bicycles. And you take these horse and buggy tours around there. And it was really interesting. We went through downtown, and they're telling us all the history of the locals and how the island got started and, and every different facet. And we go by the post office. And sure enough, um, somebody, you know, rings the bell for a question and asks, does Amazon deliver here? <laughs> and the tour guides face, I think they're trained in a way to handle stupid questions um, But the tour guide's face, you could tell, just kind of did this. Like you could see it in, uh, because we're sitting up close and the tour guide just does this. And someone said, oh, did I ask the wrong question? I said, no. It's just, that's the most popular question we get asked (laughs) on on a very historic island. And it's a beautiful island. And there's so many things to see and so many nuances of nature and history. And the number one question that people want to ask is… How does Amazon deliver here? Because it's normative, right? I was planning a sermon. I already had that portion of the sermon written, and I was um, having breakfast with Linda Judd, who talked about the eight Amazon boxes that were on her doorstep at that day. How many of y'all think that you could live without Prime two-day shipping in today's age? (laughs) Only a few hands went up, and I think, like... That's what's normative for us. If I told you that you couldn't for, you know, if you got up to wash the dishes that day and realized you didn't have dish soap and it wouldn't be at your house in three hours because we've got such a great infrastructure network with Amazon, you'd be amazed. What happens when you can't order something for your kid's project and have it the next day? What happens when it's not just convenient to one-click shop and all of a sudden it's there? Mackinac ended up being this incredibly foreign place For all of us city slickers who went there because we're used to the modern-day conveniences. That is part of our culture is, I want it now. I get it now. Now to answer your question, yes, Amazon does deliver to Mackinac Island. But they have to ride the ferry over and they have to take it to the post office. And they put it on the horse and buggy mail carts that they have and they deliver it around the island. And so if you order dish soap from Amazon, you will get it in about three weeks. Or something like that. It is a ridiculously slow process. And for those people who have transplanted to Mackinac, they say that there's about a year adjustment process of learning how to be an islander. Learning the pace of life there that's a lot slower. It's a lot more chill. People don't demand things on, uh, on demand as much as they do even just across the way into the state of Michigan. And this is the same question that the psalmist in Psalm 137 is asking, when they um, exclaim, How could we sing a song in a strange land? How can we be in Babylon and sing a strange song? And this isn't working, so Andrew, you'll have to go to the select slide. How could we sing the Lord's song in a in a foreign land? How can we be in Babylon away from the temple? And it goes deeper than just, I'm in a weird place and I can't get my packages on time. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land that the psalmist is asking is, we are in such a foreign land, will God even still remember us? Or will I even still remember God? And, And also, how do we worship God apart from the temple that God said that God's presence would always be in? And even deeper than that, if I'm a Jewish person, if I am God's chosen person, I have been given this land to occupy and be fruitful in and multiply so that we might be a light to the nations, but I'm no longer able to be in that land. How am I a faithful person in a strange land? And these are all the questions associated with the history of the exile. What Jeremiah covers in, and what the psalmist is lamenting in is a period of time known as the exile. Exile. And Exodus, if the Exodus story is kind of the foundational narrative of what it means to be a Jewish person, the exile is, I would say, the second most foundational, most formative uh, story of what it means to be a Jewish person, even to today. Because even at the Passover meal, if you do a Seder meal, for example, the question they will ask is, next year will we dine in Jerusalem? Meaning that they are recognizing that what they are a part of and where they live, the culture they exist in, is not the culture in which they dream about. It's not the way of life that was normative for them when they would go into the temple. And the temple has roots in King David. Um, As the Ark of the Covenant, which carried the Ten Commandments, came into Israel, King David dreamed about having this great palace, if you will, to put the Ark of the Covenant, to, to move the tabernacle. Because one of the things he laments is he says, I've got this great structure of gold and cedar, but the, but the tabernacle is just a tent. And doesn't the Lord deserve more than that? If we're talking about facility uses, doesn't the Lord deserve more than just a tent? And so he wants to import cedars from Lebanon and use all this gold and build this ostentatious design. But Nathan the prophet tells him in First Chronicles 17 that he's not allowed to do it. The God says that David is not allowed to do it because David was a warrior and has shed blood. And because he has shed blood, he cannot build the pure house of God. And so it falls to David's son Solomon the wisest, you know, person. And um, Solomon ends up getting the cedars from Lebanon. He gets all of the gold and he builds this huge, glorious, fantastic building. And in Kings, it talks about, in Kings it says, the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built and put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And the assumption that The Jewish people make, the the theological understanding of this is that the temple is the place where heaven and earth collide. The temple is where God's presence remains. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant resides. The Ten Commandments are in there. And so this is where they go for their major feasts and festivals. This is where they go to sacrifice and atone for sins. This is where they go to encounter God. And when Jesus heals somebody and says, here, go to the priest, go to the temple to be put back into the community. This is the center of their existence. The center of what it means to be a Jewish person is to be in relationship with God's presence through the temple. Well, if you read through the prophets, you see that the relationship with the temple was not always lived out in an everyday form of compassion or mercy or justice or or holiness. And as the Jewish leadership began really taking advantage of their own people, as the Jewish leadership began um, trying to make political connections and bringing false idols into the temple or into the king court, as the Jewish leadership started turning away from this kind of idealism of what God had laid out for them, well, they become a weaker nation. And the Assyrian army takes over the northern kingdom. And then in 586 B.C., the Babylonian army comes in And not only takes over Israel, but ransacks the temple. And and all of a sudden, the Ark of the Covenant is lost for all time. And beyond that, the end of Jeremiah, the very last verse, chapter in Jeremiah, says that there were 4,600 Israelites that had been exiled out of Israel. They took their political leaders and their religious leaders. It was a military political tactic. They became political prisoners in Babylon so that Israel wouldn't be as strong to perhaps rise up and in Babylon, some of them, like Daniel, are given important jobs. The, the goal was not to put them in concentration camps. The goal was not to put them as, as uh, other people in Babylon. What they would do is They would try and enculturate these leaders into the Babylonian culture so that those people would then adopt Babylonian ways. And eventually through attrition, the Israelites would simply become Babylonians and Israel would no longer exist and Babylon gets stronger and stronger throughout the generations. And so if you are working for the empire that has ransacked God's temple and taken your land, how do you sing a song of the Lord in a strange land. What happens if you forget about Jerusalem and they're being persecuted in some way because it says their tormentors are asking them, sing us a song about Zion. And how do they sing that song? Well, maybe that's a question that we get to ask as well. I don't know how many of you follow these kind of things, but the Pew Research Group puts out an annual report on the status of involvement of religion in America. And it just came out earlier in September. And um, since really the 90s, but ever since 2007, there has been a steep drop-off in the number of people who claim to be a part of any religious affiliation whatsoever. The numbers this year, since 2007, the number of people who identify as no religion rose from 16% to 29% in 2022. And that doesn't mean that they don't believe in a higher power it just means that they are not associating with what we would call church or synagogue or temple or anything like that the number of people who identify as christian dropped from 78 percent to 63 percent from 2007 to 2022. and while there is a significant decline in those millennial gen z population that we all like to blame there is a significant drop off in 2022's reports in empty nesters as well who have found their search for meaning and purpose in places other than a church community again doesn't mean they don't believe in a higher power most people would claim that spiritual but not religious part which in my eyes maybe judgmentally means that i've been hurt by church and so i'm creating my own on some level but those numbers are alarming from the question, or from the standpoint, that the church is no longer a host of the community, it is a visitor. The church exists in a strange land, a land that used to be one in which it was just known. If you were to walk into the public square and say the Lord's Prayer, you would just assume that everybody knew the Lord's Prayer, but that's not the case anymore. There, We were watching a a quiz show on hulu the other day it was a game and and it's like taboo where you have to get people to say certain words and and one of the words was judas and one of the celebrities who was giving the clues said betray jesus and everybody just kind of stared like like this should be common knowledge but it wasn't because the church is no longer the host of culture the church is a visitor inside of culture and you know those numbers are not i'm not throwing those numbers out to be alarming in this present situation right now. I'm throwing out those numbers. I'm throwing out that to recognize that as the psalmist is lamenting, how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And as Jeremiah is helping people to understand what it means to be faithful when the entire culture isn't easy for you to survive in, or it's just not built around everything that you might want, how can we still remain faithful? And not only faithful, but prosperous to live out the great commandment of sharing God's love in every way, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ for The transformation of the world to baptize in the name of god the father and god the son god the holy spirit how do we do that inside of a culture in which we are no longer the host but we are a visitor well two things happened in the 90s as well one of those um, as people were kind of recovering from the excessive me culture of the 80s there became a little thing called the internet that opened up the, the eyes of the world to lots of different things and thoughts. And what was interesting is the internet opened up this thoughts. and this is some of the evaluation by the Pew Research Group, is that there's just kind of more of a post-religion uh, world in terms of we know more people, and so claiming that we're right is kind of a hard thing to do against our neighbors or um, just other different reasons associated with that. But as the internet grew, there was this weird reaction by Christian culture that as more and more culture was being available to people throughout the internet, Christians doubled down on their own culture. And so instead of being a Christian who wore like a shirt that said The Gap on it, they would wear a shirt that said God in the same font as it. Instead of a Christian who enjoyed Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, they would wear a Jesus shirt that said Reese's, you know, in the Reese's font. It became this thing of we still need to dominate culture, and so we're going to do things that only are Christian-labeled things. We're only going to listen to Christian music and watch Christian movies and wear Christian t-shirts, and you have to wear a Jesus fish to indicate that you're a Jesus uh, follower. And the problem with that is that we were were starting to enter a strange land, and we doubled down on faithfulness. But with our positivity toward our faithfulness, we rejected everything else. And not only rejected, but became mad at everything else to boycott popular books and popular movies. And this became what Christian culture was known for, was we're going to be this island of ourselves, and we're going to lament, how can I sing a Lord's song in a strange land? right? It's just impossible. We can't deal with these heathens over there. And so let's do our own thing and form our own schools and do all of this by ourselves. And what everybody else started to see was, oh, they just want to be left alone. And they just want to yell at us. And that seeped into where politics became about Jesus and about using Jesus for our, their own political gain. And, and so that drove a deeper wedge. Now, that's one thing that happened during the 90s, is that Christians started forming a wedge between Christians and culture. But something else happened in the 90s. It happened in Dayton, Ohio, of all places. There was a guy named Brian Harvey. And Brian was an ex-Marine, or former Marine, Marine alumni, however you want to say it. He was a Marine, because once a Marine, you're always a Marine. And so Brian was a Marine, went back to Dayton. And um, Brian, in the Marines of all things, as he was getting discharged um, ends up converting to Christianity. He was he was no religious before that, and ends up finding Christ through his discharge from the Marines, honorable discharge. Goes back into Ohio in his home state and um, doesn't really know what to do with his life, and, and had not found a job yet necessarily. He's just kind of wondering what he does post-warfare, and um, enters back in. He starts hanging out at the VFW a lot, and he's at the VFW. He uh, meet some other guys and and realize they're christians too and so they said you know what we should we should go to church and so they go to church and they go to church and it's this traditional service and no offense to the traditional service but brian harvey and his friends think it is the most boring thing in the entire world because after you've been in desert storm going to a traditional worship service is a little sensory depravity and they go to that, and then they try a contemporary worship service, and it's kind of Chris tomlin music, and it's like light, light rock guitar kind of thing, and they're just not feeling that. And, and then they go back to the BFW, and it's really only these three guys, but they start talking to other people and asking if they're a church-going people, and then they realize that it's not just the worship environment of the church, but it's also kind of what they found is that they found this judgmental culture in the church. They said, well, where do you find like, meaning? Where do you find community? Where do you find purpose in life? and where these other people found it was in a biker gang. And they were everything you could think of. It was, you know, guys with gray beards and ponytails wearing their leather jackets and cruising for 50 miles on a Sunday, and that was where they found joy in life was in this biker gang. And so Brian says, "Well, tell you what, what if it takes these two guys and says, "Tell you what, what if we what if we like started a church that was a biker gang?" And they're like, "That's not what church looks like. How can we worship God as a biker gang?" You go, I don't know, but let's try it out. So they got the biker gang, and they ended up forming a church with the biker gang. And all these guys start believing in Jesus and start doing, like, you know, the teddy bear drives and stuff. And, like, good-natured works out of their love for Christ for the community. And, and then Brian says, okay, well, we need to hold formal church services because that's what churches do. And so they meet in the VFW, and they start holding church services. And the bikers are like, we like this better when we were riding on motorcycles delivering teddy bears to people. He says, well, what about this church is so boring to you? Because part of church is worship. It's not just riding motorcycles. It's coming to honor God. I said, well, the music is awful. He said, well, what kind of music do you like? Well, we like Ozzy Osbourne. We like Black Sabbath. We like Judas Priest. And so Brian's like, yeah, those guys rock. Those, and those are heavy metal bands, for those of you who don't know. So he's like, yeah, those guys rock. So Brian, who was a heavy metal fan himself, kind of coincidentally, um, goes to some local bars, essentially, and finds these heavy metal guys and is like, hey, you guys Christians? are like, no. And he's like, well, what would you do for 200 bucks? And they're like, anything, because we're a local band. And Brian brings this heavy metal band and says, here, I need you to take this song and I need you to, I need you to take this Christian song and I need you to make it heavy metal. And the guys are like, 200 bucks, sure, okay. And so they get in there. And so the biker guys give it one, like, like, come on, give it one more try. And so out of that, there is the first heavy metal church of Dayton, Ohio exists today. Because a guy named Brian Harvey said, you know what? I'm not going to drive a wedge into what seems like a strange land. I'm going to ask the question, how do I sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Like, what's something different I could do to sing the Lord's song? word song, even when it may not be as easy as it used to be, even when it may not be as accepted as it used to be. How do I make this happen? And I think that's the call that we have, and that's what I think this call is going to be in Jeremiah as well, is that we don't throw up our hands and say the world's going to hell in a handbag, and we need to bunker down in our own beliefs, and our own culture, and our own Christian identity, and, and just shut the world out that's heathens, because they're going to destroy us somehow or another. But I think we're called to do is look at who's around us look at what's around us and say so how do we sing the lord's song this way how do we sing the lord's song in harper elementary when we go over there and read to students who well that's where they spend their time isn't it in school let's go share god's love there how do we share the lord's song with with those adults with special needs that don't really have a place to go well let's start open door community and I wonder what other ideas are lying wait. I wonder what other dreams and visions we have if, if we're thinking along the lines of World Communion Sunday and that this communion table is not just our community, but it's all communities. I wonder what other ideas lie in wait or, or maybe how your witness exists in a strange land. I wonder how it is that you sing the Lord's song at work. I wonder how it is that you sing the Lord's song on your soccer team. Or in your basketball team, in your art club, in your bunko group. I wonder how you sing the Lord's song on a golf course, because that may be the hardest place. Our role is not to be enraged and wonder if we're ever just going to forget about Jerusalem. God has said that the church will exist in one way or another. What our role is, is in a world that doesn't find church as relevant is to take our core values and our core message and make it relevant. We don't lose our values, we don't lose our message, we make it relevant to a culture that just exists in different spaces than we did before. And if you look throughout church history, we have evolved over and over as the Spirit has moved from High Holy Mass in the Church of England to First Heavy Metal Church of Dayton, Ohio. And sometimes that doesn't look so formal as forming a church. Sometimes it simply is the recognition that maybe God doesn't just reside in one temple, but that as your body is a temple, God resides in you, and people find God wherever you are. Let's pray. Holy God, as we move toward your table in which you have invited all people to come, Maybe recognize that we aren't called to stay just sitting at the table, but we are called to partake in your body and your blood to be sent out into the world to be that body and blood, the way that Jesus was, who interacted with a lot of different people and sat down to dinner with a lot of different people, who worked in a world and a culture that did not accept him, and yet he found ways to bring peace and justice and love and mercy and all of the things of your kingdom. And so, God, may our hearts not be dismayed May our hearts be uplifted, may our hearts be challenged, may our eyes be opened through the taking of your bread and cup as to what possibilities lie await for us as we ask the question, how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Amen.
0: Amen. As we move to our time of communion together want you to keep in mind what David was reminding us about. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website creekwoodumc.org for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.